This is Kicking and Streaming Podcast, a binge watcher's guide to streaming movies, TV series, and stuff. Here are your hosts, Graham and Jocelyn. And hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Kicking and Streaming Podcast. My name is Graham. With me today, of course, is the very absolutely fantastic Jojo, to whom I say hello, Jojo. Hello, Graham. How is it? Ah. Jojo, how you been? How you been, Jojo? I've been okay. Yeah, yeah, it was a good week, Jojo. It was a good week. Yeah. Actually, my week started good last Sunday. Do you know what I mean? Because my friend and her husband, I'm, I'm not going to say who, you know. <laughs> my friend and her husband decided to bestow upon me one of the greatest gifts I've ever received. <laughs> For a birthday, <laughs> you know. Do you happen to know these folks I'm, I'm referring to? Jack? No, no, I don't. I don't think uh, I know them at all. I don't think I've heard you mention them uh, before. Uh, okay. Yeah. So you, yeah. Now we won't let you get away with that. Eh? <laughs> 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 I remember my wife opened the door, and I'm like, "Why is the Amazon guy asking Christine to sign something?" Mm-hmm. And Christine, Christine comes like. With a little grin in her face, like, like, you have something. And I'm like, okay, this is definitely not Amazon. And I open it. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is cool. I wanted this and blah, blah, blah. Because, you know, the thing goes in, 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 in categories and tiers and stuff. So mm-hmm. when I actually opened it and I realized which one it was, I'm like, <gasps> and Christine, like, what is it? No, like, you have no idea. Like, listen, this thing right here. And she was like, oh, wow. I'm like, yeah, I guess you're going to have to step up your game. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> I expect, I expect you're going to have to step up your game. <laughs> well, it's funny, too, because I, 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 I needed, of course, Jeff's help with the specs and everything. So um, as soon as I said what it was, he, he knew what it was instantly because they use them where, where he works. He's like, Oh yeah, we, we, yeah. we use all the, we use, we have all those. He's like, in fact, and he, he's calling up the website. He's like, we have this one in this truck and we have this one in that truck and we use this one oh, here. And- this thing right here is life is life because all the hours of editing and all the troubles are going to, to be minimized and yeah, life saving, man. And I always suspected your awesomeness, <laughs> but here, dude, like you have uh, outdone yourself. And like I say, Christine's gonna have to step up. In by August 9th, I expect you know there should be a parade, a, right? It blow me away type of shit. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I did tell you, it's not a competition. You know? Yeah, that's <laughs> not. It's not, but it is. It actually is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but I know what's coming, though. A trip to Jamaica. <gasps> Brilliant. Yeah. 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 That's, that's, that's way better. Yo, no, <laughs> it's not. But... <laughs> Shit, I'm from the Caribbean. <laughs> it's like taking me back home. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, hey, no, we have to get started. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> once again, my friends, welcome to the show. Today, we are reviewing a docu series uh, directed by 
the fantastic Ethan Hawke. And uh, I don't know what led me to say, let's go ahead and watch this. But, and, and by the way, Jojo, I was expecting it to be like a two hour thing until I actually opened it. And I'm like, this is six hours and a half. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm like, I guess we're going to have to get started with this, you know. Yeah. So it's called The Last Movie Stars. It is the story, the life together of Paul Newman and uh, Joanne Woodward. And I have to say, of course, I knew a lot about Paul Newman. Well, I knew about Paul Newman. I didn't know a lot. But there was very little I knew about Joanne Woodward. And this is, to me one of the greatest things I've seen because it tells you that Paul Newman's greatness was owed most singularly to Joanne Woodward. And it's not it's not a case that they make in the movie or in the docuseries. It's something that becomes evident once you start seeing it that way. And uh, we are going to stra- extrapolate all of that, talk about it, and see what you think, Jojo. Yeah, yeah. So why don't we just start there? What did you think of this, of this docuseries? I, I think it's done in a style that I've not seen before because it was, Ethan Hawke started working on it during the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic and shutdown. So a lot of, of this is done via Zoom and Zoom meetings. And so it's sort of almost a weird... Nostalgia isn't the right word, but a weird callback to the time when that first started, when when we were all just sort of finding our way with Zoom meetings and that kind of thing. And so there's there's that aspect of it is is interesting to me because it's like, oh gosh, this really is a period in history. It really drove it home to me that this is this is we lived through and are continuing to live through a period of history that is affecting literally everything, including documentaries and the style in which they are done. And so I found that very interesting and, and, and just sort of a, a side commentary of, of the times that we're living in. But, but also the, the fact that he had, Ethan Hawke was given access to these transcripts of tapes that were made by Paul Newman and, and his friend and assistant in the early 90s of many, many, many interviews with many, many, many people. And from what I understand from interviews with Ethan Hawke, they only used like a quarter of of, of what the, the material they had is also a style that I've not seen used before in the decision to use voice actors since the, the tapes were what they did have left were unusable and, and the uh, the transcripts were what remained. It's just a very, very different style of documentary, but it's the story that evolves and that it progresses and that you are shown between these two people who were very big movie stars, each in their own right, in different times and different ways of their career, the way their relationship evolved, the way that they cared for each other, the way it changed each one of them and their careers and their person, their, their being, it's, it, it's fascinating to get such a glimpse into a marriage. It's, it's, it's a rare thing, I think, to get such a, as close as possible as one can get to a glimpse of a marriage that isn't your own or a relationship that isn't your own. And that's, that's very interesting to me. 
so this is, of course, it's about famous people and lots and lots of different famous people are interviewed and talked to. But I think when it comes down to it, it's really about human beings and, and the love story and the, the enduringness of, of what you can, can get through and what you can do together if you're, if you're willing to, to fight for things. And, uh, I think it's, it's a really beautiful story with a lot of maybe revelations people wouldn't know about the fans, but I think when it comes down to it, it's a story of humanity and, and the power of, of love. Yeah. Yeah. The power of love is definitely, is definitely a part of the story. And so I am in agreement with everything you said about this, this story. And this documentary, as you said, it's such apropos for the time for what we've lived through. And older than this one, the only older movie that I know that was directed over Zoom, and I just learned about it this week, was the movie 13 Lives, which is about to come out in a few days during the month of August. So Ron Howard directed the movie over Zoom while the rest of the crew was in Thailand and, and, and stuff like that, because it was smack in the middle of the pandemic. And so, you know, I'm pretty sure that a lot more was were done this way and we, we just don't know about them. But it is, it is a reminder of what we've been through and what we are going through and how we talk about resilience in a way that is, is a bit sometimes cliche, if you will. Because that's the first word that comes to mind. The human mind and the human being is resilient and blah, blah, blah. And we hardly ever talk about the power of adaptation. Mm. The reason why we are at the top of the evolutionary capsule is precisely because it doesn't take us long to adapt. You know, it's not necessarily because we are the strongest. It's, it, in this case, doesn't necessarily mean the survival of the fittest in that context, in, in terms of strength, because, fuck, a gorilla can kill me. In fact, a dog can kill me, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and a dog is not even at the top of the food chain. But it is because of our ability to adapt on the go and just just make things work as soon as we see the utility of it. And in yes, a lot of people took Zoom. Okay, well, I can communicate with work via Zoom. That's it. I can have a board game night via Zoom. But who would have thought that a director would be able to direct a movie and have it done all over Zoom? That, to me, is the beauty of things. And it was like, it's not a question of, hey, Clooney, you know, I'm sure you have something to record your voice on. Just record it and send it to me. No, 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 no. It was like, no, we're going to get on this Zoom thing, and you're going to do your part, and I'm recording it here, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. That, to me, was a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. But in terms of the movie itself, in terms of the story itself, I, I want to say something because, first of all, I have to say that I don't know, I don't believe that Ethan prepared or had anything 
edited in a way that could just pull your string, your the, the strings of your heart. I think this is a man who wanted to tell a story of a human being that not only was flawed, because all of us are, but someone who was incredibly conscious of these flaws. Yeah. Someone who was so in tune with his own flaws that while the entire world saw a movie star, he never did. He never did. He always was uh, thinking in the back of his mind, what the hell is it that these people saw? What the hell is it that these people are crazy about? Because I am that little Jewish guy from Shaker Heights. That's it. That's all he saw his entire life. And the reason why I like this is because whenever someone makes a documentary or a series about a star and they present us with those flaws, there is a sense of schadenfreude that, we we tend to experience because oh they're just like us the the the, the expression they just they're just like us is actually an expression of schadenfreude right yeah yeah but in this case that's not what you felt in this case you felt like this guy lived in his entire life needed needing a hug <laughs> yeah yeah you're right you're right <laughs> I, I don't know it, like this guy was in so much pain and in the ways that I identified with him are all ways that you and I have had conversations about and this sense of he was just like me or he was just like anyone else didn't come with that sense of schadenfreude but rather empathy yeah and it wasn't like boohoo, I'm a big star. No, it was, man, I feel you. Yeah, I feel everything you went through. I know you. I, I know, like hanging there, but you're dead already. But yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what do you say, George? Yeah, I. It, it's I. I think the the interesting thing. Well, man, one of many interesting things about Paul Newman is that he understood that he was manufactured that that Paul Newman on the screen was was manufactured he understood that 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 the sex symbol that the 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 lusted after person was someone that that existed merely because through his his wife's help and through studio production and things like that 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 was so he never I don't think that he ever really confused the two in the sense of of like, you know, well, I'm Paul Newman and I'm hot right. shit. You know what I mean? Like it was just like right, that, right. that's Paul Newman up there on the screen and I'm Paul Newman, the boy from, as you said, Shaker Heights. So and I think that the interesting thing about that is that he understood it and it didn't. I don't think it caused. I don't think it really seemed to cause an identity crisis for him. I think it maybe maybe made him feel a little bit like a failure, perhaps, in his personal life. But I don't think it made him, uh, you know, like regretful. Or I don't think he he thought that well, you know, that's what everybody sees, so that's what I need to be, you know. So I'm gonna, you know, I, I don't know, have forty seven affairs with every woman I possibly can because he certainly could have, you know, or do all of the drugs and he didn't turn into Steve McQueen is, you know, that's what Steve McQueen did with his life. I think Steve McQueen kind of 
got caught up in the aura of the the image of Steve McQueen and tried to become what he was on screen. And um, Paul Newman, I don't think Paul Newman fell into that trap. And I, I find that very interesting that he was so incredibly self-aware of that and of himself and that he had such respect for, you know, for his wife, for Joanne Woodward, for her true talent and that he always understood that between the two of them, that she was the much better actor. But it was just a point of of luck that he got what he got. Like you know, where where there's there's the, the series part in the series where they're talking about that luck is an art. Yes. And and he, yes. and he says, you know, my luck started when I was born in 1925 as a white male. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he understood that's a very that's a very early thing to re- recognize yes. at the time. Isn't yes. It? Yes. Like yeah. that. That is incredibly like that is that is so self aware to go. Yeah. That's 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 if I, you know, that's part of what happened. And then you know when when he there's an interview with him where he's like, I don't want to put on my tombstone that here lies Paul Newman. A failure because his eyes turned brown <laughs> because he yeah. understood that, you know, those those the genetics, the twist of genetics that gave him those gorgeous blue eyes were were part of, you know, why he had a career as a sex symbol was because he had the, yeah. the you know, the the cool hand Luke stare or whatever. So, you know, he was he was very, very, very self-aware. And as you said, for someone of that time and era, I mean, heck, now it's that's a rarity, <laughs> honestly. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's oh, plenty yeah. of ple- people who claim to be, you know, quote unquote woke or whatever, but they really don't have the level of self awareness that that Paul Newman had in the in the '90s, and I think probably was slowly coming to through his whole life. Because yeah. I don't think that's really necessarily something that just suddenly happens to you overnight. That's something that you have to be sort of. Uh, have a propensity towards to realize that, you know, I, I need to, I need to not lie to myself about who I am and understand that who I am is an accident of the cosmos and not because I'm the most wonderful, magical thing that ever walked on God's green earth. You know, there's also a little bit of, of Paul was a very educated man. And again, in this sense, I'm not so I'm not saying that he went to Harvard or whatever. I'm saying that this was a guy who, when he went to to acting school, when he went to the actor's studio, he wasn't just learning the the craft of acting, but he was taking all of what he read, all of what he heard of, and, and applying it not only to acting but also to to a lot more. Because there's a moment in an interview where he refers to Stanislavski and says, and Stanislavski, Konstantin Stanislavski is the father of what you call experimental theater or improvisation theater. And Stanislavski said, there's nothing an actor does that is by accident. And you can tell that by repeating that, by saying that in an interview, that became a mantra of his life. Like nothing is an accident. Nothing. Although there's luck, but nothing is an accident. And you see where he takes his lessons from, from anywhere he can. And we haven't even begun to talk about his encounter with Joanne Woodward, because I think the 
the person that we became, we got to know, is actually, to a certain extent, a creation of Joanne Woodward, as you said. Not not only you know the sex symbol and all that. That that was that was with having a good wife by your side type of thing, but at the same time, as the shaping of the men that he actually was, the men that today we we know about that you know created I do. I do. I think that he was, um, I think he was someone that was maybe a little bit lost. And I think that their finding each other was something that, because you, there are two people that will meet and they will always be bad for each other, <laughs> no matter what, they're just always going to be bad for each other. And there may be an attraction yeah. there and there may be a relationship there, but they are never going to bring out the best in each other. And no. I think that Joanne Woodward absolutely brought out the best in Paul Newman and encouraged the best in him. And not only that, but, but, busted his balls when he there wasn't you know when he wasn't doing his best you know like that she was the one who because she she always was learning she was always reading she was constantly yes. changing she took up ballet yes. at the age of 35 she yes. was constantly looking for ways to work her career into having children in, you know, in with rearing children. And, and it, it's just, she was incredibly intelligent. She was incredibly well-read, incredibly educated, and she wanted the very best for him and for her children and for herself. Yeah. And to do that, she understood that he needed help and that she was going to help him find that way by whatever means possible. And I think that, that the fantastic thing about that was is that instead of either one of them becoming bitter towards the other one with that or, or feeling that there was some sort of balance of power there that they needed to struggle over was, okay, yes, this is absolutely a partnership. This is absolute. Yes. You are absolutely yes. right. I need to do it this way. Yeah. And we are going to make this work because I believe you and I trust you. And I know that you want is what is best for me and what is best for us. And I think that that was, was fantastic. And, and, and I think that that is, it's just sort of an accident that they happen to be movie stars and we're getting to learn about them because of that, because there are other relationships that are that way. It's just, it's, it's for different, you know, different careers or different reasons or different causes. But when I think when it basically comes down to it, it was two people who wanted the best for each other and who were ready and willing to fight to do what was best for the relationship because they knew it was bigger than themselves as they were as individuals. And you're right, Jojo. Yeah, there are other relationships that that are similar to that. In that, in, in, they're just not movie stars, or they're just not. You know, they don't have that aura. But it's great to learn about, particularly these two, because I'm probably wrong by saying this because I don't know that for a fact. But I would like to think that Joanne Woodward actually created the blueprint 
rights for women to be mothers and also functioning movie stars. For women to say, to not be afraid of taking five, ten years and say, I'm going to go ahead and be a mother now and come out and make a comeback and still be relevant and still be up to date and still be have have it you know again i don't know if that is a fact but from what i can see here that is what she did and i think for me with the little that i know that might well be the blueprint because i can remember jennifer garner doing that i can remember what's your name the lady from goop doing that i can remember jennifer lopez doing that you know when she had the twins she was married to mark anthony she you know, disappeared from the stratosphere for a moment, and then she came back, and she was still Jenny from the block, you know. And I think that I know Joanne Woodward was perhaps the first actress to do that, and not come back and be mummified by, by the present, which was still it. She still had it, you know. It wasn't only about oh, how do you balance life with being a mother? It was like, but I can still see Joanne Woodward here. And she's still, she's still that Hollywood lady. Do you know what I mean? So I think for me, that was, that, that was a, a, a moment of revelation, if you will, about her. But also, you're right. There was this sense of upgrading, the self-updating the self that she did the entire time. And she instilled that in Paul. She wasn't going to go into the sunset with, my time is done, <laughs> that's it for me. It was, uh, no, keep evolving, keep evolving, keep evolving. And so it was so beautiful for me when she decided, I'm going back to acting and I am aware that I'm not going to be offered those roles because I am a woman of a certain age in Hollywood, but I'm going to start doing this thing on my own with my husband. And who else is going to do it? My husband is going to direct it. So here's your opportunity to become Paul Newman, the director, and here's my opportunity of the return of Joanne Woodward to the silver screen. And fuck it, they did it absolutely brilliantly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I love, there's some fantastic quotes from Joanne Woodward in this that are, are like, uh, they're just, they're, they're, they're just fantastic. You know, there's, there's the one where in reference to what you were just talking about, where her, uh, somebody was interviewing her and asking, you know, like, well, isn't it difficult to take direction from your husband or, or something along those lines? And she was basically like, who else would I want directing me than somebody who, who, who understands me and loves me and wants the best out of me? Yeah. You know, it, yes. it was like the idea was just was baffling to her. Like, why would you even ask that yeah. question? That's stupid. <laughs> which, yeah, which to yeah. me spoke so much about their relationship, how much trust she had in him and how much respect she had for him. Because I think that was the other thing too. There was a great deal of mutual respect for them because even though, she was certainly the better artist, if you will, as an actor. She never made him feel 
like he was something lesser than her. I never got that impression from anything, like anything that he ever did. You know, I mean, I'm sure if it was crap, she would tell him it was crap. But at the same time, it would be in the sense of you can do better. And I know you can do better. Not in the sense of oh, I'm better than you. And and so there was there's a great deal of mutual respect there. There's there's a quote from her in there, too, that I thought was fantastic, because it's not something that I think I've ever heard anybody famous say before, and certainly not anybody not famous, was an interview with her about her children. And she says, I I love my children, and my children know I love them. And I hope that they understand when I say that if I had to do it over again, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, but if I had to do it over again, I might not have made the choice to have children. Because that was impactful to me, George. Yes. I heard that, yes. and, I, and I and I took a moment, and I and I understood it because, and, and sorry that I'm, I'm interjecting no. here, but because I thought about it in the way that today is so easy for people to just give up because everything is so binary. Like, if you want to be famous and you want to be successful, have no children, or if you want to have children and have a career you have to get out of it and go have children. And she was like, no, I want to do it. I'm going to work harder to also have the children and the career. But if given the choice again, yeah, I'm going to be, uh, I'm, I'm going to be selfish. <laughs> yeah. I would have been selfish. Yeah. But that's not what she did anyway. No. C- carry no, on. no. And I just, I have never heard, I've never heard anybody say that before because it's always been, you know, if I had it to do over again, I wouldn't change a thing. You know, I, w- I would absolutely have my children again if I could and that sort of thing. And I thought that that was such – because in the interviews with her children, you can tell how much love her children and her stepchildren have for her, how much yes. love and respect and, and genuine genuine feeling they have for her. Yeah. And for her to say that, it was, I thought, so – fascinating because she didn't say it to be hurtful. She didn't say it as a, a way of, of their causing any sort of you know grief or, or, or strife in, in her relationship with her children. She was just being totally honest with herself and with them to say that if I had it to do over again, I, I might not have chosen to have kids. I, I might have chosen yeah. the career. And I think that that is such a huge Again, and I, 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 we talked about um, Paul Newman having this, but I think that it's such a huge self-awareness on her part that she didn't allow herself to lie to herself and go, I have no regrets. I wouldn't change anything. Be like, no, I, I, I probably wouldn't have kids. You know, I love them and I'm glad they're here, but yeah. you know what? I, I probably wouldn't have kids. And, yeah, and yeah. that is fantastic to me. And I, I love that and so impactful and so such an insight into their personality, their dynamic, and how how beautiful the human spirit can really be if we allow it. <laughs> yeah, if we, if we, you're right. It's, but allowing it will also bring some stuff that we don't like about ourselves. Yes. And we are so, we are so intent on being, on being liking, likable that, we start by liking ourselves too much, <laughs> you know. Uh, it, it all. I, I saw a meme this week, and 
it's it's a very apropos picture of the two members of Milli Vanilli, like kind of staring at a camera. <laughs> and it said, you know, Milli Vanilli looking at people now becoming famous for lip syncing on TikTok. Yes. And that's that's the world we're living right now. You don't even have to have the talent. Uh, it's um, it's about how many followers you can amass. And followers are literally falling for empty-handed people, talent-wise. And meanwhile, Christine, Christine talked about, she kept saying, do you see how beautiful these people were with the most minimum of makeup, you know? And I'm like, that is a sign of the time where where you needed to have the talent because I remember the, the, in the documentary to show you this report where it says 95 young women arrive to Hollywood per day, 95, looking to be stars, looking to be famous movie stars. No extra, not, no, 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 movie stars. And did they all make it? No, because it was a time where you needed to have the talent. It was a time where you needed to have the luck. And again, the luck started by being born <laughs> in America of a certain, you know, color shade and of a certain background. But you also needed to have the talent. Nowadays, do you though? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because it, not to be crass or anything like that, but if you can still explain to me why is it that there's been 20 seasons of Kardashians on TV. And I still can't tell you what talent any of them have. <laughs> any of them. No, no, it's true. What talent, or, or honestly, if we're going to go, you know, even deeper than that, any redeeming qualities, honestly. I mean, you know, there's... <laughs> how much personal growth have we really seen and I don't watch the Kardashian show, but over 20 years, has the show really been about how much, how the human spirit grows and evolves? And have we seen any of them pick up a book? Have we seen of them, any of them? And I know that Kim Kardashian's gone to law school and that she's trying to help disadvantaged people and, and that sort of thing. But I mean, at the same time, if you have this media, and I think this is something that, that, is is brought in the documentary that is is really important to the legacy of of Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward is that they realized they used their persona their public persona as much as they possibly could during the very tumultuous tumultuous time in the United States history and when that didn't work <laughs> When the Vietnam War kept going on, when he was on Nixon's hate list, when everything was going down the shitter, they said, okay, we're going to start a charitable foundation and we can't beat them this way. We can't use our persona. It's not working, but we're going to beat them with money. And so they used their foundation where all of the profits went towards causes that they believed in. 
that yeah. were the yeah. ap absolute opposite of everything that was going on at the time, all of the bad things that were happening. They channeled all of the money that they possibly could into areas that they could change things. Yep. And I think that that is something that that really speaks also to their caliber of of people, of of personality, of humanity, and and much more so than than the philanthropy that we don't see happening today, because you see so many people with these cars, outfits, things that houses things, so many things that cost so much money. And I'm not saying that everybody needs to give their money away, but at the same time, if you're a billionaire, what, what, what is the point? What, how much stuff can you possibly accrue that is worth anything after a while? And who needs a $600 million yacht? Yes. Yes. Who? Yes. Why? Yes. I mean, Jeff Bezos has a yacht that in order to just pass through a canal in the Netherlands, they're going to have to destroy the fucking bridge, let the thing through, and then he'll pay for the bridge to be rebuilt. I'm just going to put this out there. Yeah. Who needs that? Yeah. What for? Yeah. Why? But then, but then, here's the crazy thing, because you also live in the era of massive conspiracy theory, because you have a guy like Bill Gates, who has figured out, I don't need all that money. I'm going to give it away for causes that I care about. Like, man, Bill Gates wants to buy you a soul with his money. <laughs> you know those vaccines? It's a chip that he wants to, but like, okay, well, okay. After he puts the chip on you, what is he going to do? Yeah. What? Yeah. Just direct you to go to a field and work for him? <laughs> in, you know, agriculture or some shit? Like, <laughs> Meanwhile, Bezos is actually trying to bring back company towns, you know, yeah. from the day back in the day when you owed your soul to the company store. But you know, let's let's not, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but you know, exactly. but Bill Gates is the one that's going to put a chip in you, and, and, oh, yeah. and yeah. yeah, yeah. So basically, people are stupid. But <laughs> <laughs> kind of, yeah. But but it. It's just, I, I, I hope that people can watch this documentary and take away from it that these were, there's a really great quote from, from Gore Vidal in here about the two, about the two of them where he talks about, I think it's Gore Vidal that says it, actually, I may be mistaken. There's a quote from someone in the documentary who says that he, he didn't really want to quantify or, or associate them necessarily with any political party per se, because he felt that there was, that he knew, you know, conservatives that were decent people, and he knew people that were um, Liberal. liberals that were total ass shits, I think was the word yeah. that he used, total shits. Yeah. Yeah. But that they were, what they were was ethically, ethic people. They 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 yes. believed in ethics and they believed yes, in yes. in in doing what was ethically right and I thought that that was a a great way of putting it because exactly. it it doesn't tie them down to anything political as he said or any any political party it ties them to human greatness and and yeah. human ethics and 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 humanity and being a humanist as opposed to being just a product of whatever political party or or whatever is is doing 
what you feel is right at the time. You know, it, it's, it's having your own moral compass and being able to say, you know, you know what, this party that I followed for 40 years, Republican party, Democratic party, whatever, they, they, they're actually kind of shit now. So I'm going to do, they don't define, right. They don't define me anymore. Right. So I'm gonna, but people yeah. have a hard time doing that kind of thing or, or, yes. or with, with religion, you can take it with religion too. Yes. You can say, yes. you know what, yes. I was, I was a Catholic for, I was born and raised a Catholic or whatever. And now yeah. I've realized that, that you know, I, my moral compass does not align with what that is anymore. So I'm yes. going to step away from it. But there's people who can't do that, who they, they who literally cannot do that because it's like, no, that is that defines who I am and what I yeah. am. My identity. My identity. Yes. And and we can't have that as humans if we're going to evolve and get to the next step. We have to understand, we have to leave all of that behind and say our next step is not going, it cannot be defined by a label, by a party, by a religion, by a, a belief system that is wrong now. We have to be able to go, this is right now. This is, this, the, you know, our, 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 the light has shone on this subject matter. And I now realize that what I thought before was wrong and we need to change and we need to evolve. And of course that takes great humility and it's beyond a great deal of us, myself included, with many things. But we just yeah, have to yeah. try. That's the important thing is trying. And I think that that's a great part of their legacy is showing that the human spirit, you know, they were born in the 20s. They could have been everything that Reagan was. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, they could have, they, 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 but they didn't use the excuse of of their generation to be continue no. to behave a certain way or believe a certain way. It was no, we're going to take the next step up. We're going to take the next step down the road, and I think that is a yeah. great, great legacy. Yes, you you hit 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 the money on the wall there. If that's a saying, if it's not, it should be. Happens. I like it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's exactly right. Like you don't sticking to your guns gets in the way of you becoming better. That is as simple as that. As unless your guns are better than anything else. But the fact of the matter is, we talk about how these people, these two, both Joanne Woodward and Paul Newman, were continually evolving. That self update was there. And Joan Woodward was born in the South, for fuck's sake. Yes, she was. She was from Georgia. Yeah. And so in the 20s, right? Yeah. So so things were not pretty for a lot of people in the South all the way through mid to late 70s, <laughs> you know. But, but Yet she, she became who she became. And like you said, she wasn't a Reagan or a Nancy for that matter. And and Paul was born in an affluent Jewish community in, in Cleveland, Ohio. And didn't need, if you will, to get involved with any of the causes or the social issues that he got involved with. Yet he did. So... It was a question of, there's something about what I've known my whole life that is wrong, and I'm going to do something about it. Yeah. We don't have a lot of that nowadays. Yeah. We don't have a lot of that because it's too painful for people to admit, maybe I've been wrong my whole life. 
it's too painful for people to admit that. Um, let's briefly talk about the elephant in the room, which is, and I don't want to approach this from a judgmental position, but it's important to re to to realize that when Paul and Joan met, Paul was married. Yes. Yes. So the entire thing started as an affair yes. between a young woman and a a married father of three. Three, yes. And it went on for five years. Yes. Yet it's one of the most iconic relationships in modern history. So can we talk about, I think Jackie McDonald, you could you could sense a bit of, a, when she spoke, the little bit that she spoke, you could sense there was a bit of resentment there. But at the same time, I think she, she also admits in not so many words that they actually had no business being married. Yes. Is that what you got from there too? I did too. I did too. I got that she was still harboring bitterness towards him. I felt that from the perspective of the interview with her, it really seemed like a lot of her bitterness came from the death of their son, that she really blamed him a lot for the death of their son. I don't, and, and, and as you said, I, I really do think that she, although at the time was devastated, of course, as one would be when your partner of years and you, you know, your father, you know, you've had three children together has deceived you and, and, and done this thing to you. Of course, that's, that's shattering. But at the same time, I think through the, the, through the years, she was able to see, as you said, that they were two people that, that should not have gotten married, that really, it wasn't that they didn't have anything in common, but just that they, they weren't good for each other. Right. And right. he wasn't good for her. I don't think he, he really understood her and her needs at all. And she wasn't good for him and that I don't think she understood him at all either. I think they were just two people that it was kind of like maybe they 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 had a a spark or something at the beginning and they yeah. got married and then they had children and then it was like well you stay together because that's what you do and yeah. um you know if he has an affair or you know you just turn you just look the other way um that kind of thing you don't ex i think at that time the impression i got from what she said and and from things i've read was that you know Back in the days, those days, your husband would have an affair and you just would, would look the other way as long as it didn't mess up the family life, you know, like, exactly. like it was, it was, it was something that you would just internalize and just push down and, and it, it, you, but it, as long as it didn't mess up the family and he didn't leave you for her, and then everything was quote unquote, okay. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's right or, or anything at all like that. I'm just saying that, that that's the impression that I've got. That was, yeah. That, that no, was, was, and, was, and for the longest time, it wasn't even like until uh, during that period. For the longest time, until, I don't know, maybe recently, <laughs> you know, maybe the 90s, that's stopped being a thing. Yeah. Like, yeah, he, com he comes back to me at night, so we're good. You know, I think, I think, I think women kind of like, Put their feet down and foot down and said, "No, man, you're getting the fuck out." Right, right, <laughs> you know. Right, but that was the, that was the thought for the longest time. So we, we we can't be judgmental about that at all, is it? Yeah, 
Yeah. And I, yeah. I, I just, and so I think that in the course of his affair with Joanne, I don't know that he or she really expected the relationship that was born between the two of them to happen because it, it <clears throat> there's, a, there's the quote between Ethan Hawke and his daughter where she reminds him of, of a relationship is about the each party and then the the us <laughs> part of the relationship. Yes. And, yes. and I, I don't know that those two realized that there was going to be an us born of it. Because as she said, she's like, I'm not sure that I, towards the end of the documentary, she's like, I'm not sure that we even knew what love was. I was in lust with him. You know, but at the, yeah. the, the time, you know, I don't think that I even really knew what love was. But this relationship that was born between the two of them that was something greater than the sum of its parts, you know, is what ended up causing this this divorce that was very scandalous, of course, at the time. And, you know, as one of the, the children said, I can hate my dad for what he did to my mom. But at the same time understand. <laughs> so yeah. I, I, yeah. I feel it. I sort of feel like I'm coming across like I'm making excuses for him. I'm not. But at the same time, I think that it, it wouldn't have done anybody any good if they had stayed together. Even if he, right. even, even if he hadn't, even if he had never met yes. Joanne Woodward, if he had been perfectly yes. stable, uh, yeah. uh, faithful his whole life, if she had been faithful her whole life, it wouldn't have done anybody any good. Like that, there would have never been uh, a, a step into greatness for anybody. It would have just been one of your typical marriages of the time that, that yeah. just plug along until everybody dies. And that's the end of that. Yes. You know, there's the quote yes. um, in the movie that, that Ethan Hawke uses really well from big daddy in cat on a hot tin roof where it's, you know, life isn't, what is it? Life isn't about, um, Oh, I can't remember all of it, but life is your, your pain and hurt and sweat. And you, you come home to a woman that you don't love anymore and you make love to her and then you die. You know, this is basically <laughs> that kind of, <laughs> that kind of mentality, you know? So I, I think that although I'm not condoning his relate, the way that it happened, I, I think that for everyone's greater happiness, it was better that it ended. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it says a lot that Stephanie, who is, I believe, the oldest of the daughters from Jackie and Paul, actually has a tattoo of Joanne Woodward. Yes. On her arm, on her forearm. She does. Do you know what I mean? Yes. That that tells you something. Yes. That tells you something. You can actually love somebody else as much as you love a parent. Yeah. Regardless of the fact that they replaced one of your parents yeah because there's that too you know and and joanne was the you know the only thing i've always been against the word uh, the term step parent you, you know mm -hmm. um because it, it's just you know the step sort of like puts a distance there it does when you especially when you know that you love the child as much as you love your own child, you know, yeah, I've, very few times do I refer to my daughter as my stepdaughter, unless I need to make that differentiation because questions will arise like, 
But you this age and she's that age. How is she? Yeah, I didn't have a daughter at 14. <laughs> you know, but yeah, man, you, you, you just love who you love. And again, to quote uh, Lin-Manuel, love is love is love is love is love. That's it, you know. So I wanted to I wanted to just talk about this a bit because I, I wouldn't want anyone to say, well, you guys went and gushed about this whole thing. I mean, yeah. we're not being judgmental about this whole thing at all. We um, recognize that, yes, there was clearly something wrong there. But at the end of the day, bo- all three parties understood that they had no business being together, Jackie and Paul. And uh, one could say that, Paul actually gave a another mother to to his children to his first children that ended up saving the day. I I think at least. Yeah, there's there's a quote too from from Paul who was saying that he he had regrets about the way his first marriage ended, not because of it of it ending, but because of the way it ended it, because it wasn't clean, I think is the, is the quote. Yeah. It, it didn't end cleanly. And yeah. I, I think the other thing too, about people like Joanne Woodward and Paul Newman is that people want heroes and heroines to be absolutely perfect always in everything that they've ever done and to have never had foibles and to have always done everything right and to have always made the right decision and done things the right way. But we're all human beings and we're none of us ever going to do things the right way 100% of the time. (laughs) It's just never going to happen. And that's not making excuses for us, that's just acknowledging the fact that we are human and that that is how it works for us. This is part of our experience on this earth is that we fuck up all the time. And the, But the thing is that we have to be able to learn when we fucked up and grow when we fucked up, acknowledge that we've hurt people and not do it again. Or if we do do it again, realize that we really seriously have something that we need to fix within ourselves. And, you know, I mean, we, we haven't talked about either the fact that he was a very high functioning alcoholic, you know, and, and that, that she, she currently has Alzheimer's. I actually thought that she had passed away not long after he did, but, um, she, she is still, alive, but she has Alzheimer's. There's a very relatable quote for me from one of her grandsons who says she's, she's still alive, but I lost her years ago Yeah, because that, that happened to me with my father. And that is heartbreaking. And I knew exactly what he was talking about. And that is an awful thing for anyone to go through. And the fact that she knew that might be coming for her so much so that she made a movie about it. Yes. Is, oh, baffling and, and, and heartbreaking and, and so many things. Yeah. Again, a great sense of self-awareness of, of this is terrifying for me that this may happen to me, but I'm so scared of it. I'm going to make a movie about it and, and I'm going to play the one with, that gets Alzheimer's yes. and that 
that's just mind blowing to me how, how fantastic this, this woman is. And, and it's, it's heartbreaking that, that we've lost her to Alzheimer's. Um, we've lost so many people to brain diseases, but I, 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 you know, they, it's also interesting to me that they were diagnosed with terminal illnesses at practically the same time, nine days apart. Yeah. Yep. And that, that, that's fascinating to me as well that, you know, he, he died and it, it sounds like that when he died, she kind of left too. And, uh, that's. It actually was just holding on for that. Yeah. 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 You're, 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 you got it, George. <laughs> you got the, the last word here. Cause it's just, it's a beautiful thing. Let's, let's talk about the cast that did the reading and, Again, to explain, the tape where the tapes were originally destroyed by Paul himself. That that tells you what the man thought of 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 himself. Like it's like there's no reason. I'm not important enough for anybody to be listening to any of this bullshit. So <laughs> let's fuck just off. burn it all. <laughs> That, that's, that's insane. Yeah, like, that's, that's a beautiful thing. It, it is. Like, it really is. It's, uh, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like nah, we're, we're not doing this. Like you know, whatever. Like somebody else, people should learn about. So that to me was beautiful, and so what Ethan decided to do was to cast some actors to just read the transcripts of these tapes, and it gave it it massively enhanced the experience of of these doc docu series. You know, so let's go through it, right? You had Clooney reading for Paul Newman, which sometimes became a bit confusing because I know Clooney has a very distinct voice. Yes. But there were times where the actual Paul was talking and I was like, oh, kind of, they, they do kind of sound the same. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think. Because there was, there was, because like there were, there were, for instance, we can't know what Jackie McDonald sounded like. Right. You know, because those tapes don't exist. But at least Joanne and Paul, we knew what they sounded like. And the idea that, you know, sometimes Clooney sort of like merged with the real voice of, of, of Paul Newman was kind of like, wow, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed that too. Because there were, there were times too where I was like, wait, is that... No, that's not Clooney. Wait, maybe it is. Wait. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Another very interesting reader to me also was how much he captured it, everything about Govidal was Brooks Ashmanskas because Vidal always sounded like he was talking to you from a pedestal. <laughs> such a brilliant <laughs> that's brilliant yes he sounded straight out of he was posh but condescendingly posh too yes to a certain extent yes and it's not it's not something he tried it was just that's the way i speak yes fuck you <laughs> you know <laughs> and Brooks Ashwankas did that absolutely perfect. Like you could close your eyes 
and and think that's that's the man, <laughs> that's the man. <laughs> I was brilliant. Yes, that was brilliant. Yes, I really now as you said, we don't really know what Jackie sounded like, but I thought Zoe Kazan put in an, uh, a fabulous performance because for me, a few of the actors you could sort of tell they were reading. But yeah. but for me, with Zoe Kazan, Kazan, however you say her name, was it was she gave a performance that was yes. that was a voice performance, and it yes, was yes. I I could you could hear the 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 inflections and the yes. disgust and the the also the part where it's like I, I have a very funny story to tell you, but you have to turn off the tape. That sounded. Yes. Exactly like I have a very yes. funny story in my head and you need to turn off the tape and I'll tell you. Yes. And I, yes. it was just, she was so good. And um, that, you know, anyway. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, she's the granddaughter of Elias. So. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you might as well be good, innit? <laughs> Better be, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that was, that was fantastic. But you're right. You're right. Like, it was the only voice that I thought, is that somebody reading? Because there, there were some moments where she would pause, as in, let me process what I'm trying to say to you before it comes out of my mouth. You know, like when some someone is really, really telling you a story and going through the motions of telling you that story, this is where it hurts. This is why I'm pausing, because I have to compose myself before I continue and you know that yeah that was a performance that wasn't necessarily a, a reading uh, Karen Allen also did a marvelous job reading as the stepmother of Joanne Woodward she did she did especially with the southern accent because it wasn't terribly exaggerated no no and it sounded it sounded, because everybody, most people think that all Southern accents are the same, and it is. It sounded a Georgia Southern accent, a kind of posh Georgia accent, a Georgia twang. Yeah, yes, Just a little, a little bit yeah. posh, because there's, yes. yeah, there's, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I grew up on a big house and a farm, and we read, and we, yeah. you know, yeah, we had tutoring and all kind of shit. Yeah. That was fantastic. Yeah, and I, I love yeah. Karen Allen anyway, and so like. I'm just, I'm happy anytime she's working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but, yeah. So who else, who else called your, um, uh, let's see your attention. I thought that, um, Billy Crudup did well. I'm trying to remember which voice he did. He did, he did Redford, I believe. Right. Didn't he do Redford? Billy. Billy uh, Crudup. Um, but he, uh, he, he was good. It was nice to see the interview from Sally Field talking about how Joanne Woodward yeah. essentially made her career for her. Yeah. That that with the with the movie Sybil, that it was you know either it's, yeah. it's either her or or you don't have me, and I thought that was yeah. that was fantastic. That's amazing, man. That's amazing. Yeah. And it was like I'm vouching for you. I don't even know who the fuck you are. Yeah. It was yeah. just like I just like what you just did here yeah. right now. Yeah. So there is a, and, and it, it takes being in the business for a long time to know that you have discovered something, do you know? Yeah. Um, let me see. What do you think of uh, Laura Lini reading for uh, Joanne? 
I thought that was good. I thought I thought she did a, a a great job with it. I knew when it was her and not Joanne Woodward because yeah. Joanne Woodward has a very distinctive voice. Paul Newman yeah. does too, but Joanne Woodward, there's it's completely unique to me. Yeah. And but at the same time, I felt that she again, it was a performance. It wasn't just a reading, and uh, I thought it was a, a nice connection there since they had so much you know she was laura linney was essentially i guess discovered and 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 coached by um joanne woodward so i i think it was nice to have to have that connection there that personal connection yeah i think also jonathan mark sherman as martin ritt and tom mccarthy uh, reading for Sidney LeMay, they were they were brilliant. They they actually performed too. Yes, because those were people that you know. It's like when someone, even a comedian, has to be careful when they try to imitate uh, Martin Scorsese because it's Martin. Martin has a way that he speaks. Martin has a way that he moves his hands, and he he's a very you know so these are people that even though they are behind the camera you know enough of them that when somebody does them you have to you have to be careful yes yeah yes so i think that was it was a very very fantastic cast yes and i'm glad that they did the tapes but i have to go back to to maya i think when ethan watches this movie he has to be very proud because Maya had this very life-changing quote for me, and you, you touched on it, which is, and she, she admitted it wasn't her own thought. It was something that someone said to her. It was, there are three people in a relationship. There are the two people plus what they become together. And that is life-changing because it's a, it sounds so obvious that you'll be like, how did I not ever think of this before? Because it is so true, <laughs> you know. And as long as now, in your own relationship, you remember that there is a third person that we're looking after, which is the us, it, 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 will, it will work. It will, it will work. So I'm, I'm so glad just this little bit that Maya was in there, that she came up with that. She is fantastic. I, she is is truly fantastic. I mean, I, she, she is great in stranger things, but she's, she's doing other things with, with her, her talent and her art. And she is, I'm very, very delighted to be able to see. Is she not the daughter of Uma? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah. yeah, I'm delighted to be able to see what her career does and what she does because she's a she's a very thoughtful person. Very, very much so. Right. So this has been a discovery for me, and I am glad that we decided to do this. Yeah. Even though it forced us to record on a Sunday <laughs> <laughs> because there was too it was too much to take, to be honest with you, and uh, that. We heavily recommend this one. Yes. Because this is not just about Hollywood stars. It's about two human beings that you will empathize with. And you, even though 
they're sort of like long gone, you'll be glad that you exist on the same earth as they did. And and it's it's sort of like an honor, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So the docuseries is called The Last Movie Stars, directed by Ethan Hawke. HBO Max is where you can find it. And before we go, of course, we're going to let you know that you can find us on social media, everywhere on social media. But you will mainly find Jojo on Instagram as KNS co-host. That's where you'll find her on Instagram as KNS co-host. You will find me on the internet, <laughs> Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I am Mr. Puzzetta. That's M-R-P-U-Z-Z-E-T-T-A. Our website, kickingandstreamingpodcast.com. You can go there, find out all the places that you can listen to this podcast on your mobile. And also, don't forget to visit our little button of buy me a coffee if you would like to make a contribution to this show that I'm pretty sure you already like a lot if you just discovered it. Yes. We are going to call it a day for me, for Jojo. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening to Kicking and Streaming Podcast. If you've found value in our content, please subscribe and share. We would also be delighted to hear what you think of this podcast. So please rate us by writing a quick review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on all major social media platforms such as Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. Join the conversation happening today on our Facebook group. 